What is up, Substance? Yeah. yeah, come on. You are at, come on, you made it to church today in Northtown Campus. Can you help us welcome all the campuses joining us right now? We're so excited to do church together. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I serve as the executive pastor here at Substance, and it's truly an honor to welcome you here to church today, and we're so glad you made it out to Westside and in Monterey, Mexico, downtown and online, anywhere you're at joining us today. I just believe that God has a word in season for your life. And uh, it's just my privilege at times on behalf of Pastor Peter and Carolyn to get connected with the the broader church and all that God is doing around the world. I want to let you know the church is alive. The church is advancing. God's doing a good work through the people of his church. And he's using each of you to just minister to a city that needs Jesus. And I'm I'm so excited. Uh, uh, Many times I get to connect with churches. And one of the churches recently that I've had the privilege of connecting with is a, uh, a little church in Charlotte, North Carolina by the name of Elevation Church. Anybody heard of that? In fact, they were just recently in our city doing Elevation Nights, and there's about 15,000 people filling an arena for a little worship service, and I just had an opportunity to connect with their staff and their leadership, and, and at times in the journey of our faith, uh, we come across people that share the same heart, the same DNA, the same relationships that, that we have here at Substance, and we, we lean into those relationships because I believe it's in season and appointed by God that we will get connected with the broader bride of Christ. And, and we're, listen, we're better together. I think isolation is a tactic of the enemy, and, and, and God gives us relationships to strengthen us, and the unity of, of the bride, the unity of the church makes us better, and here at Substance, one of those relationships happened through an Instagram message with a man named Larry Bry. And about a year ago, I had a chance to begin to talk to him about great things like smoking meat on a grill. And that's where we got connected. And I have a Traeger. He has a Traeger. Great things happen uh, when we can grill together. And uh, began to connect with this man of God who's faithful in helping plant this church about, what, 17 years ago in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, along, alongside Stephen Furtick and a launch team, and now serves as the associate pastor overseeing the campuses and getting to, to, to be a part of a move of God that's taking place through Elevation Church. And, and I believe it's truly an honor and a privilege to get to be connected with the church. Well, today we have something special here at Substance. We get to hear from Larry Bry all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. It's truly an honor. And I just want to let you know, here at Substance, we don't just have people come speak in the podium. We truly have people who are, who are friends in relationship with us, in relationship with our leadership. And we're careful about who... Who, who stewards this stage. God's given us a gift in Pastor Peter and the, the anointing upon this house. And so we want to be honoring of the process of, uh, of unity and the honor of the DNA and the theology that we preach here. And when I met LB, he goes by LB. I met him uh, over the last year. I, I learned to, to know that he basically is my spirit animal. He, he says everything that I, I would like to say and I would probably get in trouble for saying. And uh, anyway, just, I, I want you to help me today. In honoring a person that's not just a, a pastor at a church, but he's a father, he's, he's a husband, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of character, he's a man of faithfulness, he's from Minnesota, and so he's one of us, he can handle our cold weather, there's few that can, and uh, it's such an honor to be in relationship, and I just believe today, I wanted to encourage you, I believe that God has key relationships for your life that will truly set you free, and I, wanna, I want you to seek after that today as you lean in to one of my close friends. Could you stand to your feet today and help me welcome my friend, Pastor Larry Bra? Love you, my friend. Good morning, Substance Church. Man, what a privilege to be with you today. You, stay standing for a second, stay standing for a second. I won't make you stand the whole time, uh, but as, as, as Pastor Nate said, I'm a Minnesotan, yeah, you betcha, you know, out and about, you know, and uh, the last couple days of 20 degree weather have been so refreshing in April, it's, didn't know what I was missing, and, uh, but it is good to be back home with family, this is not just a preaching gig, uh, this is a relationship, it's family, and because uh, the reality is I have family and friends that walk through these doors. And there's people that you're gonna meet that are gonna bounce against them. They won't walk into my church in Charlotte, but they'll meet you. And they'll walk into your store. And they'll walk into your house. And they'll walk into your school. And so thank you for 
doing what you do to affect my family, my friends that are right around the corner from this place. But none of this would be possible were it not for the great work that God has done in this ministry. Let's take a second. Thank God. Look what he has done, substance. Look what he has done. But I would also be remiss if I didn't honor uh, Pastor Peter and Pastor Carolyn, your pastors that have been entrusted with this ministry. We absolutely love you. We thank you. We honor you. And... uh, I want to preach to you today, and I feel like there's a word that God has for you. Uh, I'm going to give you my uh, opening scriptures, and then you can have a seat after that. This is out of Luke chapter 1, verse 62 is where we're going to start. I don't know about you, but I didn't own a Bible until I was 27. Grew up in a religious home. We would go to Holy Days of Obligation, Christmas and Easter. But when I started hearing people talk about a relationship with Jesus, I would get in fights because I didn't know what they were talking about, but I desperately wanted what they had. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know about a relationship. I knew about a religion, but I never owned a Bible until I was 27. I gave my life to Christ later in life at age 27, and then a mentor took me to a Christian uh, a Bible store. Uh, uh, you know you know what those are? A store where you go buy things in it is a, you know, it, and I remember buying my NIV Thinline Study Bible and tearing the cellophane off of it and smelling it. I was like, this is my... Because it says, all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I do believe God wants to open his word to, to rebuke you, correct you, and train you in righteousness today. I do believe that's the assignment that God has appropriated for me for this moment. There's a difference between this book and every other book. Every other book you read, this is the only book that reads you. So as we open it, we need to understand the very creator of the universe is inhabiting the pages of this and it's wanting to resonate deeply in our soul to bring about a change that would glorify his name and honor what he's called us to do on this earth. So we're not just gonna like approach the word of God common and ordinary like it's a Nicholas Sparks novel. No, this is extraordinary. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and it wants to separate things in your life and it wants to correct some things in your life. So as we approach the word of God, Lord, may we not become so common with it that we've already assumed what it says before we even open it. Some of you don't own a Bible. I'm so glad you're here today. You couldn't be in a better place. We would love nothing more than to put a copy of God's word in your hands. That first Bible study I went to, I got my Bible one night. The next day I went to the Bible study. They started opening up their Bibles to Obadiah. (laughs) And I heard about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I couldn't find them. And I kept my Bible closed the whole day because I I felt too stupid to open it. So I know what it's like to have a copy but feel insignificant and like I'm not smart enough to even engage with it. And some of you, you've been reading it your whole life. So whether you're tearing the cellophane off or you've been bathed in the scriptures and you got Philippians memorized, there's something for every one of you here today. So as we open God's word, let's honor it. To receive, would you just... Receive in your heart as this word is ready to be spoken over you. You are good soil. This is the seed that God wants to plant in your soil of your heart. There's a seed that will produce righteousness that will come from something, not that I say. What I have isn't worth offering, but what I make available to you is the word of God that is precious. You're good soil substance, church. You're good soil. Luke 1, starting in verse 62. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Oh, I don't have time, but I really want to tell you that you have naming rights. I want to tell you some of you inherited a label that is not God's word over your life. There's a difference between a mistake and being a mistake. Something you did is not your identity. And I want to challenge some of you that God says, I need you to rename some things in your life. You're not a divorcee. You're a daughter of God. You're not a mistake. You're a faithful follower of Jesus that has a past that God will use for his future. God has given you naming rights. He wants you to start renaming some things in your life. Quit accepting the labels the world has put on you. And start embracing the unique identity that God has given you. You have naming rights. Ah, I love it. That's just one verse. I haven't even started preaching yet. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. 
Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with them. I want you to look at your favorite person, right or left, and I want you to announce to them the title for today's message, what's it gonna be? Look at them, say, what's it gonna be? Then look at your second favorite on the other side and say, ask them, what's it gonna be? And after you have done that, you, you could be seated here today. Do we have any people in the room that, are, that have a newborn? Anybody, any, anybody with a newborn? A couple, yes, my wife and I, we've got four. And I remember looking at my youngest, she's eight, her name is Lenya. And we all looked at her at the hospital and she's brand new and everybody's like, I wonder what she's gonna be. That's the picture that's being painted right here in Luke. It's this moment where this baby is brought onto the scene and everybody's gathered around going, I wonder what it's going to be. And when you meet a child, you walk up to it, you say to the child, hey, when you grow up, what do you want to be? There's something about being captivated with the possibilities of what you could become for God's glory. What are you going to be? Now picture two adult men in an elevator downtown Minneapolis getting ready to go to the 35th floor. They look at each other and what do they say to each other? What do you? Why did we switch from being to doing? What happened along the way that robbed you of your ability to dream about what could be? Why did we shift from becoming something to doing something? And the reality is God does not need you to do anything, but he needs you to become something. What's it gonna be? That's the title for today's message. And, and the backstory behind this, it's really important that we learn the backstory. It's funny, people will see me and I'm a part of a church that's got many locations and oh, it must be nice. But, you know, I'm like, listen, buddy, you don't know where we came from. Don't judge the whole movie based upon one scene. Don't look at a snapshot of today and assume it was been easy yesterday, not at all. Anything great you see began with sacrifices you don't see. And some of you, the only reason you're sitting here today is a faithful grandmother who did not give up on you. They kept praying for you. It might, have been a, it might have been a teacher who said, I know you're screwing up and I know you're getting Fs on every test, but you're brilliant, you're smart, and you can become something for God's glory. And I love that because I think God wants to arrest you and he wants to shake you and say, what's it gonna be? Are you gonna accept the labels that the world has put on you? Or are you gonna push through all of that stuff into the presence of God and say, God, what's it gonna be? And some of you have written the title for the movie of your life and you're not even out of the opening scenes. And the backstory on this, if we... Just flip back a couple pages. Starts in Luke chapter one, verse five. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly, the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, who was also a de descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But... Say, but, I've been trying to do it right, but, I've been following you, God, but, it says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. It's an interesting scene that's being painted here and there's a lot of tension being set up in the text in, in verses five and six because they're giving you the backstory. Here's Zechariah, he's a priest, he's a godly man. He's, he's of the tribe of, or of the priestly division of Abijah. There's 24 different groups of priests and he's in the eighth one of them. It's, it's supposed to be actually the best one when you research it. So he's like, I'm a priest. Yes, I'm a godly man, thank you. And you got, you got Elizabeth, who's a descendant of Aaron, like Moses' brother, like the first high priest of all of Israel. They got some pretty cool bloodlines. I mean, so from a genealogy standpoint, this is like a pure bloodline. They're a purebred. These guys are like, got it all going on. They got all the bling. They got all the, all the stuff. And it says of them in verse six, they kept the decrees. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were not without sin, 
but they were above reproach. Are you living a life in such a way that that would be said of you? Obviously, they're, they're not without sin because there's only one who walked the earth whose name was Jesus that could claim that title of being without sin. Yet they lived in such a way that they were above reproach. People might accuse me of something, but nothing will stick because I am observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right, God. We come from a royal bloodline, God. But that's the tension in the text. This is the point in the movie where it gives you the backstory of what's gonna happen. The but. What I would wanna tell you is the but is a foreshadowing of God's favor. What's your but? Here's the reality, some of you, some of you, you're hanging on in a marriage and you've been doing everything right, but. There's some college student here who's getting ready to graduate this year and you've kept yourself pure through all of college and it's the time of the year when everybody gets engaged. And if you see one more person get engaged, you're gonna stab them with a pen because you're like, I've been doing it right, God. Where's my bow? Where's my guy? And you're tempted to compromise because it's not happening in the timeline you thought it would. What's your butt? You might be sitting next to it right now. You're doing it right in your company. But because you're not cutting corners, you're losing margin and you're tempted to just cut some corners like all of your other friends who are making a profit, but you know you can't do that. But you have this wrestling match, but if I don't cut corners, we might have to go bankrupt because the economy's crapping out. What am I gonna do, God? There's a, a but, I'm trying to do it right, but. Now picture Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're very old. You know how there's hungry and then there's very hungry? Do you know how there's angry and then very angry? There's old and then there's very old. And when the original wor words are written in the original Greek, it means very old. Zechariah is 90 and Elizabeth is 88. They would have been married when they were teenagers. 15, 16 years old would have been customary. So when the scripture speaks of but they were without a child, what it speaks to is the desire of their heart. It's giving you that illustration to show you into the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Picture them, 16 years old, getting married and looking at each other like, this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna have so many babies because I'm of the tribe or the line of Aaron and you're a priest. God's gonna bless us and we're doing it right. Surely we'll have three babies by the time we're 20. But now 20 comes and goes and they're looking at 25 like, Lord, it's gotta happen by the time I'm 25 or these eggs are gonna dry up like I don't know. And now they're hit 30. And now they're looking at all their friends having kids, and yet they can't. And they keep living their life in such a way that they're wondering, okay, God, I'm doing it right. I, I, I'm following all the decrees and commands blamelessly, Lord. Why am I not being blessed? Surely it's gonna happen by the time I'm 40. But now they hit 40. And now their friends are starting to have grandkids. At what age did they give up on the dream and the desire they'd ever hold a child? Was it at age 50? Because I believe that they earnestly sought the Lord and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. God, give us a baby. God, give us a baby. God, give us a baby. And some of you know the pain of that moment and you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying, but what happens when we pray and it goes unanswered in a way that we expected it to be? We treat God's promises like a loaf of bread. We put an expiration date on it. And I wonder how many of you have forfeited God's promises because you put an artificial expiration date on it. God is telling you, no, 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 no. That thing does not come with an expiration date because my promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But tell that to the 50-year-old woman who's barren and she can't have a child. And the deepest desire of her whole life is just to hold a baby. And probably by the age of 50, she stopped praying for a child. And she probably just settled into, I guess, this is all it's ever going to be. And she wrote a label on herself that said childless. What's it gonna be? Are you gonna accept the label? Or are you gonna push past the artificial expiration date that you've placed on it? 
So by the time they hit 90, they haven't been praying for a child in some, some 30, 40 years. So see the scene. So it says, but they did not have a child because they were very old. Remember, the but is a foreshadowing of God's favor. And I want to challenge you the next time you're going to go, well, it's not working out this way, but. No, no, no. That but is an opportunity for the blessing of God to seek into your life, to come in in a way that would remind you of what he's done. But how do you do that when you've been praying for something for 70 years and you haven't seen it? She's been praying for a child for 70 years. So you see the scene that's being set up here? I know sitting in your seat today, it can be so overwhelming because you wonder, like, God, do you even see me? And some of you were singing the, song, singing the songs and you were believing it for everybody else in your life, but you're not believing it for yourself. What's your butt? What is it? For Zachariah and Elizabeth, it was this deep desire to have a child. So now we turn to verse eight. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty, say duty. That was not good participation here. Let me try that again. Say duty. It's important to the text. Some words that you skip over are so significant. So as you study the word of God, none of those words are arbitrarily thrown on the page. They're penned by the very spirit of God in a way that would bring light into our life. Because for some of you, life feels like a duty right now. And God's about to illuminate that in a way that's gonna refresh your soul. His, his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by Lot. Lot means they were rolling dice. You get picked now, Zechariah. Here we go. I thought this is a godly book. <laughs> Some weird stuff in here. According to the custom of the priesthood. Oh, so the priests got the dice game going on. Yes, they do. <laughs> According to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of burning the incense came, all the, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So what you had is Zachariah's priestly division. There's 24 of them. Each one of those 24 groups would have two weeks a year, and then all the three major festivals where they would all go to Jerusalem to administer the, the stuff at, at the temple. So there's 18,000 priests in Jerusalem. There would have been about 750 to 800 um, in Zachariah's uh, division. So picture 800 priests and families all migrating to Jerusalem to administer before the Lord for one week. It would start on the Sabbath on Saturday and it would be done the next Saturday and they would have two weeks a year where they would do that, all the three major festivals. Why are they doing that? It's because sin entered the garden and it created a separation between us and God. And there must always be a penalty paid for sin. There will always be blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. So we're reading a New Testament story that's living in the Old Testament sacrificial system. That means if you and your family had a sin, what you would do is you would bring a, a goat or some kind of animal to the temple and the priests, they would, they would kill the animal and you would lay your hands on it and you'd feel it as the life bled out of it because there's a real penalty for sin. I know when we sin, it doesn't, we don't see the effect of that. That's why God wanted to institute in the Old Testament a system that says there's a real penalty for sin. And I want you to live your life in such a way that you're aware that it's costly. So the priests, they would sacrifice these animals and then they would take and sprinkle the blood as an offering to God for the forgiveness of sins. And what you have is all the worshipers were assembled outside because families would gather so that your sins could be forgiven and then our sins could be forgiven. And I'm gonna ask the guys, could you bring out those three things for me, please? Because there's three big parts of the temple at that time. There's the outer courts. So here, at our downtown location, everybody's sitting out here in the seats. Uh, clap your hands, because you're a part of the outer court. There we go. So what it says is all of you are assembled, worshiping, and praying. Okay, so pray out loud real quick, just so people can hear you at the other campuses. It was louder than that. No, no, come on. A little bit loud. No. Isn't it weird when we ask to pray, we don't even know what to pray for? Sometimes that feels very foreign because it's not a familiar part of our life. And what God knew about the Israelites is their hearts would be dece deceitful and would stray away from God. 
So he wanted to create a system that regularly created dependence upon him. So what you have is in, so you got the outer court, that's one part of the temple. There's the, the inner place called the, the, the holy place. This is the part where, where Zachariah is gonna go administer. So what you have is there's three big parts. Inside, this is covered with like big, big curtains. Because in here, you would have a lampstand, say lamp. In here, you would have a table with bread on it, say table. And then you would have an altar, say altar. So we got the table, say table. Say altar, say lamp. All three of these are inside the, the holy place. So when it says that Zechariah was picked, dice were rolled, he's the guy that gets picked to walk into this place. So he's gotta go through these heavy curtains. And he's gotta walk in, and he's gotta light the lampstand. And then he's gotta burn incense to offer forgiveness, prayers up to God. And as this incense is burning, the prayers of the people out there are being lifted to God so that God would forgive you, so that God would heal you. And then there's a table over here with 12 loaves of bread on it, and it's reminding us that God is my provision. It's just reminding me that God is the only source of light in my life. This is reminding me that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And behind this is another curtain. And back over here that nobody went into but once a year, the high priest. This is the holy place, the holy of holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant met. And this is where once a year, God would meet with the, the high priest. They would offer blood as a way to atone for the sins. The high priest, this was such a holy place. He could go only go in there once a year on the day of atonement. It was such a holy place that they tied a rope to his foot that if he were to die here, no one else could go in, and they would pull him out. So Zechariah gets picked to go into this holy place right here to minister before the Lord. Is it random that he was picked that day? No, God is divine, God is sovereign, God has a purpose. Do you think it's random that you showed up in church today? No, God is divine, God has a purpose. God picked you, he rolled the dice, and he got you here or to one of the other locations or into Mexico so that you could hear the word of God. So now he's gonna minister before the Lord. This is his duty. The people are all praying. What are you praying for? There's individual prayers and there's corporate prayers. What would the individual prayers would have been? What do you need prayer for? That's being prayed out there. The corporate prayer, they, this is a people group that had been under oppression their entire lives. Whether it's the Egyptians, the Babylonians, now it's the Romans. And they had these prophecies that a savior would come and a messiah would come to deliver them one day. And they're out there praying, Lord, send a messiah, send a deliverer, send a healer, send a king to us, God, send a king to us, God. And they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. But now you got the individual person. We want a baby. We need, we need a healing in our marriage. We need to have our kids come back to God because they've wandered, Lord. All that stuff, they're all praying out there. And it represents the church. And at the time of the day that came for them, for, for Zachariah to go in, it's three in the afternoon. And he goes into the holy place. First thing he has to do is to light the lamp. There's always order to the duty that God has called you to. So the first order of business is to light the lamp. This is a, a, a lampstand, it's a candelabra, it's, it's menorah, it's got seven flames on it, it's 90 pounds, it's fashioned out of pure gold. And it's formed to look like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And it takes the Israelites all the way back to the Garden of Eden to remind them that this is what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be perfect. There wasn't supposed to be sin. There wasn't supposed to be a separation between us and God. So Zechariah, as you go in, this represents the Garden of Eden. Do you know what Eden means? Delight. I thought this was a duty. Psalm 37, four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what you and I do? We delight in our dreams. Because in reality, delight looks way more like duty than dreams. What you see with with Zachariah and Elizabeth, 
for 70 plus years, they've been faithfully serving God. He would show up every time he needed to, blameless, observing all the Lord's decrees, offering, uh, offering sacrifices for the families, bringing it into the presence of God. And he, the one day he gets picked to go into here, he's reminded of the duty, the desire, which is it? What are you delighting in? Are you delighting in your dreams? Because when I delight in the dreams, I walk away from my duty. Because what happens is when it doesn't happen according to my timeline, I walk away because God wasn't in it and God forgot me. So when the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord, delight is not a feeling, it is a decision. It is making a decision to say, I don't feel like it, I don't know if I want to, but I'm going to do it. Thus saith the Lord, I'm going to do it. And I'm gonna walk up to Jerusalem and I'm gonna serve other people even if I'm not being served in a way that makes sense to me because it's something greater than me. So when it says he observed all the decrees blamelessly, I need you to tie it back to not in ethereal decisions. It's in the application of his life. He's living a life in such a way that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's living his life in such a way that believes that God is good, even if it doesn't look like that in my individual life. So he lights the lamp, because it's dark in here. There's big blankets over the whole thing. He lights it. That's the first thing you have to do. There's always order. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. You keep seeking the, all the other things rather than the duty, the duty, the privilege, the delight of seeking him first. What does it mean for you to seek him first in your life? So he lights the lamp, and now he looks over at the altar, and now this is where the story gets really cool. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. What's up? But the angel of the Lord said to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Now I wonder if he's going like, what prayers? What, what, what prayers, like the prayers of the people out here? My prayers, yeah, I'm praying for a Messiah. But the prayer for the child? He hasn't prayed that in years. And now the angel of the Lord says to him, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? He'd been praying for over 70 years to have a baby. And now the angel shows up, your prayer has been heard. He goes, I haven't prayed that in 40 years. Wow, the prayer that you forgot, God never will. The prayer that you don't even know if you have the strength to pray anymore. God heard every one of them and he stored them up and he heard them. He's not ignored them. He, is, he just didn't respond according to your expiration dates. And because he didn't respond according to my expiration dates, I feel like he failed me and he didn't hear me. No, no, no. God hears every one of your prayers. And some of you, the reason you stopped praying, does it even matter? He said, prayed that they wouldn't walk away and they did. I prayed that they wouldn't die and they did. I prayed for a baby and we don't have one, so what good does it do? Because my desires aren't being met. And God says, when you walk out my duty, I will fulfill all of your desires. There's always an order to it. So the, the angel Gabriel says, you're gonna have a baby. And he says, and he will be, remember where we started, they said, wonder what this child is going to be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. Here's what the angel said and what I believe the angel spoke about John, he's speaking over you. He said, he will be a joy and delight to you. Say, I'm a joy. Again, horrible participation here in the room. <laughs> Say it again. Say, I'm a joy. I'm a joy. Say, I'm a delight. But the reality is sometimes the people that are around you feel like it's a duty. 
So remember, you want that baby. How about when that baby makes a mess all over the place? Is that a delight? Or is that duty? What feels like duty is a delight when you do it to the Lord. And God is trying to rewrite that get you past a feeling and get you into faith. Feeling is not faith. A desire is a feeling. No, no, I'm talking about a deeper thing where you abide in him and you keep showing up even if I don't feel it. Even if I can't see it around me, I believe it within me and I keep moving towards it. I keep lighting the lamp. And now the angel shows up and says, you're gonna have a baby. He's gonna be a joy and a delight and many will rejoice because of his birth and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is amazing. And now you're gonna like, what's it gonna be? Because I think the angel's looking at Zachariah. like, all right, you're gonna have a baby, buddy. What's it gonna be? Here is Zechariah's response in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. What you hear in his response is disbelief. What I would submit to you is disbelief is eroding more of your destiny than the devil will ever steal. We forfeit more territory than the devil ever steals. And it's often in the land of disbelief. You believe it for everybody else, you just don't believe it for yourself. You believe that God is good, you just don't feel worthy of it. There's a disbelief in you that God is saying, time to move past it. And it's not about a feeling, it's about a duty to know that he calls you daughter, even if you don't feel worthy of it. He calls you son, because he labels you according to who you are in him, not the actions of your life. One person clapping here, thank you mom. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak with you and to tell you this is this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I love that Gabriel looked at him and said, shh, shut it. Shh, zip it. God, I pray the spirit of zip it on somebody's mouth in this place right here. I do, I pray it, because what you're speaking is poison over the dreams that God is bringing into your life. And Zechariah hears from Gabriel, Gabriel says, I am more committed to your dreams than you are. He is not punishing Zechariah by making him silent. He's protecting him. He's protecting him. Because the disbelief that he had walked with for so long what day did it begin? We don't know. But he became so overwhelming, it was the normal operating system of his life. And everything he saw spoke through the lens of disbelief. He's showing up, he's doing his duty, but his heart is running away. I pray the spirit of Gabriel on you to shut up. Stop it. Every time somebody wants to bring a blessing into your life, you break it by speaking, speaking disbelief over it. Stop it. Stop it, Gabriel, says to Zechariah. Stop it, child of God. Stop it, you're better than that. Quit labeling yourself according to your lowest moments. God always defines you by your highest potential. A child, a son, or a daughter worthy of receiving it. What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be, Gabriel? Oh, snap, he failed that first round, didn't he? But I love how God is more committed to your dreams than you are. That prayer you couldn't even, you don't even remember praying. I never forgot it, and I believe so strongly in it. I'm gonna shut your mouth because I will not let you abort in utero a dream that is planted as a seed. It is a seed that has been deposited in your wife's womb, and your disbelief will abort it. So I will shut your mouth. And some of you are going, Lord, I pray this over my husband right now. <laughs> Give him the spirit of shh. A couple of you know that's you. You do. You know it's you. You speak disbelief. You speak negativity. It is poison. And it is killing dreams around you. And God says, stop it. Stop it. I want to do a great thing. And some of you need to pray that prayer like, Lord, let my tongue cleave to the top of my mouth so that I would not speak disbelief into the atmosphere to kill what you're trying to create. So now, until this baby is born, you will not speak. 
And what's amazing right now is at the same time that God is working in Zechariah, old people, old people, he's also working in the lives of a young girl named Mary. At the same time. Say, at the same time. At the same time, God is working in your row. You, think about this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying a prayer like, Lord, give us a child. But the nation was also praying, give us a Messiah. And God said, I will use your dream to accomplish my desires on the earth. You know that there's a bigger purpose to that desire God placed inside of you? It's not for you. It's what he wants to do on the earth through you. God is wanting to do a mighty thing in your life. But I gotta see past my individual desires into the greater need that God wants to have on the earth. He shows up to Mary and Mary, a 16 year old. Get the spectrum of people that God uses? 90 year old senior citizens that are qualified and they're living decrees and laws blamelessly to a 16 year old girl who has no clue what's going on. There is grace and space for all of you here today. And he shows up in this 16 year old girl's life and he says, you have found favor with the Lord. The prayers of the nation are gonna be fulfilled through you. And she's 16 and she doesn't get it. The same Gabriel, the same angel shows up to her and says, and I will fulfill all the prophecies through you have found favor with the Lord. But I'm just a child. The but is a foreshadowing of God's favor. With Mary, it was a matter of moments. With Zachariah and Elizabeth, it was decades. For no word of the Lord shall ever fail. And listen to Mary's response. Chapter one, verse 38, it says this. It says, and Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What's it gonna be, Substance Church? Zachariah's response that says, how can I be sure of this? Or the 16-year-old innocent girl's response who says, let it be. Some of you are resisting the unction of God in your life because it doesn't make sense to you. And what you're excusing as lack of understanding is creating a life of disobedience. May we learn from a 16-year-old, because if I were to start the sermon and put a 90-year-old and an 88-year-old up here on one side and a 16-year-old over here, which one of you said has more wisdom? 16-year-old, be like Mary. Let it be. This week, I pray that language frame your life. God brings something into your life that doesn't make sense. You would just simply say, let it be. Because you know when a spirit of let it be lets you do? Because I don't want to go serve God today. I, I'm not, I don't have my baby. Okay, Lord, let it be. And it allows you to come and light the lamp. You walk out the desires of your heart by understanding that it's fulfilling the duty the beautiful joy because when the, in the garden when God created the tree of life Adam your job is to tend the garden to work the garden that was a delight it was called a duty it was a delight what you do on the earth is meant to be a delight but it feels like a duty delight yourself in the Lord it's not sitting there saying I don't, I don't feel the delight today no saying no let it be. May I go back to my classroom. May I go back to my job. May I go back to my marriage. May I fulfill the duty that he's placed on my life. And so this baby is born. And at the end of, of Luke chapter one, it's this beautiful capstone to this story. In verse 59, it says, in the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. You know, sometimes there's a family blessing, but also a family curse. Because somebody along the way said, you're gonna be just like your dad. And that's fighting words for me, because my dad would not be a guy that I would want anybody to have as their father. But some of you are feeling like all you're doing is recreating the generational dysfunction that was handed to you. 
And what I believe that is illustrated in the text here is a generational cutoff of dysfunction and now a new legacy of blessing that's handed on to the next generation. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous before the Lord, but that does not mean they were walking out what God wanted for them. God wanted to do a new thing that was unique to this baby, had nothing to do with mom and dad. Mom and dad did their thing, but that's not necessarily this child's thing. And some of you feel like all I've done is what my parents wanted me to do. This speaks to that moment where God says, no, no, I'm gonna do a new thing. But everybody around him wanted to name him Zachariah because you're just like your daddy. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Then they said to her, there's none, no one among your relatives who has that name. We have never done that before. Our family doesn't do that. We don't go to college. We just have babies out of wedlock. We just accept generational things because you're gonna be just like your mother. But they didn't believe the words of the woman. Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And everyone was astonished. His name is John. He writes it down. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak praising God. This is absolutely beautiful because the last time that mouth was open, what was coming out of it? Poison. I pray that God close your mouth and that poison would dry up so that the next time your mouth is open, what would come from it? Praise. Immediately he began praising God for what he had done. He is to be called John, and then he started to praise God. Because here's the reality. This is the second chance. Because now they come to, to, to Zachariah. Zachariah, what's it gonna be? I love how God gives us a second chance. I love how God gives us a third chance, a hundred and third chance, a thousand and fourth chance. I love that our God is a long-suffering God, willing that none should perish. And they came to says, now what's it gonna be? This time, his name. And immediately he began to praise God because he was walking out the duty. And now he sees the desire fulfilled in a way. Seek first in all these things. And here's the beauty of what Zechariah, this baby John, this would be John the Baptist. The whole reason he was created was to be a foreshadowing of Christ, to simply point to the one to say, there's one coming after me, there's one coming after me, there's one who's coming, his name is gonna be Jesus, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And because of the finished work of Jesus, Zachariah gets to call his son John, because it was all about Jesus, because Jesus was in the holy place. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the mediator and the intercessor between us and God. In fact, when Jesus died, this veil that was here that separated everybody from God was torn from the top down, giving everybody access to God because in him, all of us have a second chance. What's it gonna be? Are you gonna keep living in an Old Testament sacrificial system where you feel it's all about your works? It's all about what you can do to earn forgiveness. It's all about how hard you think you can do it. And some of you have been doing life your own strength, your own way, for way too long. And God is saying, what's it gonna be? Will the blood of my son be enough for you? Will you receive forgiveness? Or are you gonna keep living under the shadow of shame? Jesus did not die for his sons and daughters to live beneath what he died for them to be. What's it gonna be? Who do you want to be? And I pray that you hear the loving voice of our Father calling you by name. His name is John. Her name is Carolyn. His name is Nate. His name is Fred and her name is Sally. Would you say your name out loud and his name is? No, no, let's do it again. I need you to make this personal. And my name is Larry. My name is, you're not getting it. You need to understand that God calls you by name. Who have I made you to be? And the only way that you'll walk in that is by knowing that Jesus did that. And because he did that, you can keep doing this. Stand to your feet at all of our locations right now. I wanna give an invitation for someone to begin a relationship with Jesus. Some of you have been trying to get to God through religion. 
trying harder, doing better, doing it in your own strength, in your own power. God says, that's not the way it's going to be. So what's it gonna be today? Are you gonna refuse forgiveness? What's it gonna be today? You're gonna walk out of this place, go right back to the same dysfunction, repeating the same patterns, expecting a different result? What's it gonna be? What do you want? What do you want to be? And the greatest label that could ever be placed on your life is forgiven. A son or daughter of the most high God. I know you don't feel like it, but the desire that God is placing in your heart right now, you feel it. He's calling you to himself and he's calling you by name. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Church family, we're gonna say a prayer out loud for the benefit of somebody who's about to make this decision for the first time or coming back to God. I need everybody saying it out loud so that nobody feels isolated and alone. We're a family. The worshipers all gathered together and they're praying together. But God will hear you as an individual because he sees you as an individual and he knows you by name. The Bible says when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. What will it be today? Will you experience salvation? What will it be? Pray this with me, church family. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the grave to forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. I give you my sin. I give you my shame. Forgive me, and I'll spend my life following you. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed at all of our locations in Mexico, I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, you just place your faith in Jesus for the first time or you're coming back to him. Without hesitation, I want you to shoot your hand in the air. Simply signifying that you placed your faith in Jesus. He died a very public death so that we could be forgiven. This is your moment to declare he is your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Just place your faith in Jesus. Come on now, church family. Let's celebrate that. Come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, let's clap for the goodness of God in this place.